0: Every challenge we face in life today prepares us for every challenge we will face in life tomorrow, which most of us, or most of the time, I should say, at least based on what I've experienced in life, the challenges we face tomorrow are larger and more complex than what we face today. And it's going to take a person stronger, wiser, more skilled, and more committed than you are right now to overcome. Every difficult situation is an opportunity to become the man or woman required to overcome. But we often miss this. We fail to see the small challenges in life that come our way, what seems like insignificant challenges, that they're actually big opportunities, and we can't see it. We can't see it because our vision is impaired. We are too often blind to what's really going on in life. But each challenge is an opportunity, an opportunity for us to learn, an opportunity for us to grow and to be prepared for what's next. Well, this is how we began last week's message. And if you were with us, you remember we then launched into a well-known story found in Mark chapter 6. And most of you are familiar with this story, especially if you Up in church, or you went to VBS, or something like that. It's the story of the miraculous multiplying of the bread and fish. After Jesus, after listening to Jesus, thousands of people were famished. They had been with him all day, hanging on to every word he taught, and by the evening, they were hungry. And the disciples came to Jesus and said, Jesus, you've got thousands of people who've been with you all day. It's been a hot day. They are exhausted, they are hungry. Let's go ahead and dismiss them and let them go home and eat. But Jesus saw this moment as an opportunity to teach them, an opportunity for them to build faith, an opportunity for them to trust that even in the most difficult of situations, God can come through. So he looked at his disciples and said, you guys give them something to eat. Of course, they were taken aback by going, how in the world are we going to feed all these people? But they found a boy with five loaves of bread and two fish. And they said, hey, can, can we have that? And he willingly gave it to them, and they took it to Jesus. And most of you know what happens. He takes the bread, and he takes the fish, and he breaks it, and he blesses it. He gives it back to the disciples. And as the disciples begin to pass the bread and fish to the multitudes, a miracle takes place. And it is multiplied, and all the people ate, and it's a miracle, and everybody is astonished. And then in verse 43 of that story is where we camped a little bit last week. It's where we get the title of this series. And here's what verse 43 says. This is after the miracle. It says, And afterward, the disciples picked up 12 baskets of leftover bread and fish. Now, here's a question I asked you last week. Why is it that the author mentions leftovers? Why not simply skip the detail? And I gave you a few possibilities. But here's where we landed. We said the leftovers mentioned are mentioned because leftovers are needed for what is next. And if you know what happens right after this particular story, which we walked through last week, we know that Jesus told them as soon as the bread and fish had fed the multitudes and they picked up these 12 basketfuls of leftover bread and fish, it says immediately Jesus told them to get into a boat and cross to the other side of the lake. And they do. And then a storm comes and their boat's tossed and they're fearful. And Jesus comes walking in the, in, in the early morning hours, he comes walking on the water, and they think it's a ghost. And Peter calls out to Jesus and says, Jesus, is that you? And he says, yes, it is. And he says, can I come to you on the water? And Jesus said, absolutely. And Peter throws his leg over the side of the boat and stands on the water. And it's a miracle of Peter walking on the water to Jesus and Jesus walking on the water to the disciples. And then it says, when, they got, when Jesus gets into the boat, the sea calms, the storm dies down, and they are astonished. They are amazed. Just an incredible story. And we said, you know what? The bread and fish that were left over, the disciples should have recognized Recognize that no matter how difficult a situation is, Jesus can come through in the middle of a famished crowd of people and he should also be able to come through in the middle of a storm. But the scripture tells us that in the middle of that moment when the seas calm and the winds died, the scripture says that the, the disciples did not remember. They didn't see the significance of the bread and fish. They missed the miracle that happened right before the storm. And we've got to learn how to carry the leftovers of miracles with with us everywhere we go because the next situation will probably be greater than the one we're facing right now. That was last week's message. And it's not really about leftover bread and fish. It's bigger than that. It's leftover miracles, leftover reminders God is present, leftover proof that when you think God can't and God won't and God doesn't, you simply pull out your leftover bread and fish and say, you know what, I remember one time God And if he did it for me in the past, he will do it for me in the future. We need to pay attention. We need to make notes every single time God does something miraculous in your life, every time he comes through, every time he answers a prayer, no matter how small it is, make a note of it. Write it in your Bible. Put it in your phone. Put it in a journal and carry that with you because it may be the only thing you have to carry with you into the next season because no matter what you have faced in your past, I'm here to tell you, you probably ain't seen nothing yet you have any idea how many things I've gone through in my past and I thought, this is it, I'm never going to make it through, and I've made it through, only to find that the next challenge, the next giant, the next issue was even greater than the one before it, but I learned in the small one how to overcome the next one, and I learned in this one how to overcome the next one. That's what we talked about last week. It was a great message. The preacher did a fantastic job. You should have been here if you weren't, okay? Now, with all of that kind of in the background, that's Kind of the wallpaper, if you will, painted there. I want to move into another part, another um, encounter Jesus has in John chapter 4. So just kind of keep the bread and fish, the miracles in mind, and how we need to carry leftovers with us because this is a fascinating story. It happens at the end of a discussion, this, this encounter that I want you to see. It happens at the end of a discussion Jesus has with a Samaritan woman who is drawing water from a well, let me set the story up for you. Jesus chooses to go through the city of Samaria, which is uncommon for a Jewish man. If you know anything about the history between the Jews and the Samaritans, which some of you do, some of you do not, they they had a history of just being bitter enemies. In fact, it was very common that if you had to go to a city above Samaria, north of Samaria, if you were a Jewish. Uh, person, you just bypassed the city of Samaria entirely. Even if you had an hour at at an extra hour under your trip, that was okay because you were not going to go into Samaria. Because if you go into Samaria, you're going to run into Samaritans, and Samaritans were the bitter enemies of the Jewish people, and they just kind of you know avoided them at all costs. But the story tells us that Jesus had to go through Samaria. So something happened that caused Jesus to go into a city that they typically avoided. Not only was he a Jewish man, he was a Jewish rabbi, a religious leader. So for a religious leader to intentionally go into the city of Samaria was unheard of. So Jesus goes into Samaria and he has a reason for going, which we'll find out in a moment. And he arrives at the hottest part of the day and he is tired and he is thirsty. The disciples say, well, hey, we've been traveling a long way, we're tired, we're thirsty, we're hungry. We're going to go on into the city and see if we can find something to eat, Jesus. We'll see you in a little while. And Jesus sits down at a well, and while he's at the well, this woman comes to draw water. And she also comes, very interestingly, at the hottest part of the day. And all of a sudden, this woman and Jesus get into a fascinating discussion. In fact, Jesus engages her in a deep and intimate conversation about her past broken marriages, about her living situation, her theological confusion, on and on. And at the end of the discussion, the woman is thrilled Jesus stopped by. In fact, she gets so excited that he came by, she, she, she runs into town and she tells all of her friends and anybody else who would listen, hey, you've got to come meet this guy that I met at the well a few minutes ago. He knows everything about my past. Maybe, just maybe, he is the Messiah. And right at the end of the conversation, right when this lady is getting excited and she drops her her pail of water and she runs back into town, the disciples show up. Remember, the disciples had gone to get food. Well, while they're getting food, Jesus and this woman's having this discussion. They arrive at the tail end of the discussion Jesus is having with the Samaritan woman, and she's excited. And they watch her get up and run past them back into town, and they're kind of like, well, that that was kind of weird. Jesus, what's going on? You're you're talking to a Samaritan woman in public? Not only we typically aren't even in Samaria, but you are a religious leader. You need to watch your public image. And now you've chosen to speak to a woman in broad daylight, a woman without her husband and you're without a wife, and it does not look good for you to be talking to this woman in the middle of, you know, the city like this. What is going on? And when they arrive... Jesus finishes this conversation. She gets excited. She goes into town. And here's what I want you to see is this conversation that Jesus and his disciples have with one another. The disciples miss the significance of this moment. They do not give credence to Jesus speaking with this woman except for the awkwardness of the exchange taking place in public between a Jewish leader and a Samaritan woman. So the disciples look at Jesus and they say, Okay, uh, Jesus, would you like something to eat? That's literally what happens. Remember, they go into Samaria to get food. They come back. When they arrive, Jesus and this woman is talking. The woman gets excited. She runs into town and says, hey, come meet a man who knows everything about me. Maybe he is the Messiah. And they watch the woman run away, look back at Jesus and say, hey, Jesus, would you like something to eat? We got cheeseburgers, onion rings, ketchup, you know, diet soda. Would you like something? And then Jesus says this, I'm full. I've already eaten, no thank you. And by the looks like it, looks of it, you don't have any idea what I'm talking about. And again, the significance of this moment and the power of what Jesus said lost on these disciples. They don't see the significance, and I'm going to tie this up in a minute. They don't see the significance of Jesus having this conversation with the woman. They don't see the significance of the woman running back into town and and hollering, hey, come meet a man who knows everything there is about me. Maybe he is the Messiah. They don't understand anything that has just happened. Their eyes are closed. They can't perceive the moment. They can't see what's going on. So they just ignore everything that happened because they're confused and say, Jesus, would you like some food? He responds back and says, look, I've already eaten. And by the looks of it, you guys have no clue what I'm talking about. And then the disciples say something else. Did somebody bring Jesus something to eat? That's how blind they are. They can't see anything that is going on. They only see the surface. They can't see behind the events that are taking place to really see what's happening. And then Jesus drops the mic. And here's what he says to them. Guys, I am fed I don't need your cheeseburgers and your onion rings. I am fed. I don't need your drive through I am fed. I don't need the food that you've packed and brought to me. I am fed by doing the will of the one who sent me and by completing his work. Have You ever noticed that statement before? If you've read this story in John 4, have you ever just stopped and really focused in on what Jesus says here in verse 34? He is talking about real food, deep nourishment. He is saying doing the will of his father and completing the work of his father is food. It is nourishment. It is fuel, so much so he could skip an actual meal or two and be completely fine. Jesus preferred to sit at a well under Israel's scorching sun and speak with a confused, forgotten, divorced woman than sit at an air-conditioned table and pull up to a steak dinner. There is something about fulfilling his father's agenda, watching the life of this woman change for the good, answering her questions, validating her existence, guiding her onto a new path. It was more fulfilling, more satisfying, more enriching than any meal anybody could provide. When The disciples come back with food. They say, hey, would you like something to eat? He says, guys, I don't want anything to eat. Did you not just see that woman walk away In fact, she didn't walk away, she ran away. Did you see her? Did you see the look of excitement on her face? Did you see the smile? Did you see this woman who ran back into town? Did you hear what she was saying to her friends? She was saying, come meet a man who knows everything about me, and maybe he's the Messiah. Guys, did you not hear that? Well, we we heard it, but we didn't know what was going on. Exactly, you don't know what's going on. You see what's happening, but you don't know what's going on just like the disciples standing around him that afternoon, there are some of us listening to this message and we have no idea what's going on. We don't know about this kind of fulfillment. The only fulfillment we understand is more food, more clothes, more houses, more followers on Instagram and friends on Facebook. And folks, that's not said to guilt trip you or me. It's not said to make us feel less than... I say all of that to do the exact same thing that Jesus tried to do with those guys that afternoon. It's to wake us up to what's around us. To wake us up to see what's happening in every single nook and cranny of our life. It's to wake us up so that when we get up in the morning, we realize that we have an agenda. We have a purpose and we have a reason for breathing. And it's more than just eating breakfast and going to work and coming home and paying the bills. More than that. Here's what I mean. Jesus says in verse 35, don't you guys have a saying? This was a common saying of the day. Four more months and then it's time for harvest. In other words, don't you guys have a saying? And when it's seasonal, hey, just a few more months and it'll be harvest time. Just a few more months and we'll be able to bring the corn in and bring the wheat in. Just a few more months and it'll be the fall of the year. And we'll be able to harvest all the work that we have done. He said, you guys have a saying like that. Oh, you're missing it, guys. Come on. Look, I tell you. Open your eyes and notice the fields are already ripe for harvest. Guys, did you see the lady who just ran away? Yes, Jesus, we saw her. That's the harvest. You see, while you guys were worrying about your stomachs growling and wanting to make sure you ate, when I arrived here, I saw this woman. A woman who was broken and hurting and lost and confused. A woman who needed to be validated and loved and encouraged. And while you guys were off in a drive-thru making sure that we all ate for the day, I had to sit down with her and nurture her and love her and bring her the love of the Father. She is the harvest. And she is everywhere. But you're not seeing it. Because your eyes are closed and you're not noticing the harvest that is everywhere around you. In other words, opportunities to do the will of the Father and complete his work, to eat his food, are everywhere. They are in our homes, at our places of business, in our schools, neighborhoods, communities, everywhere. And according to Jesus, pursuing these opportunities, doing the will of our Father and completing his work, bring more fulfillment than eating at Five Guys or Cookout. But many of us have no idea what he's talking about. We don't get it. We don't see it. Because we live most of our lives with our eyes shut, our ears closed, and we miss it. And this is so essential, so Important, so critical. Jesus is not saying, instead of a hamburger, I've chosen to serve someone else and serving someone else is equally as good as eating a burger and fries. No, no, he's saying so much more than that. He is saying fulfilling the will of the Father, completing the Father's agenda was a completely different kind of food. It wasn't a replacement of equal value. It was a distinct higher quality, a deeper richness than any food on earth can possibly offer. To his disciples, when they returned with their bag lunches and said, hey, Jesus, are you ready to eat? This is kind of the paraphrase. This is kind of Scott version of what Jesus said to those guys. Hey, Jesus, you like something to eat? We got some food here for you. He's like, boys, while, while, while you were waiting on your food? I was eating a food you can't imagine. I was, I was completing the task for which I was born, fulfilling the mission my father gave me before the foundations of the earth were laid. And they just stood there, their mouths ajar, confused and puzzled. You see, when you do what God has gifted you to do, I mean, when you really do what you've been commissioned to do, his leftovers the nourishment of his will, linger for a long time. And you carry that with you. And you need to pack it up, pack it up, and keep it with you because in the coming days, you're going to need every morsel of leftovers you can find. Because you have no idea what's around the corner. You have no idea the conversations you're going to have. You have no idea the people you're going to meet. You have no idea the phone calls that are going to come in, the text you're going to get. You have no idea the people who are going to cross your path, gather up every single leftover you can, pack it away, because you're going to need every morsel of his presence in every single thing you face. Now, with all of that in mind, let's move to another encounter Jesus has with our common enemy, Satan. Matthew 4 tells this story, and here's here's what I want to do. The story I told you last week in Mark 6, the story I kind of began the message with today, multiplying the Bread and Fish, and where we get the title of today's message, and then in John 4 with the woman at the well and Jesus interacting with her, all of that happens after what happens now. So basically what I'm going to do is kind of give you the prequel to all of that, Okay. This is the very beginning of Jesus' ministry. You're going to see how all this connects. and I'm going to wrap it all up here as we close the series out today. Let me set this encounter up for you, and then we'll get to the details of the story. Jesus is baptized. This is the very beginning of his ministry. Before he does any miracle, before he goes out and preaches, before he does anything at all, he is baptized. And as soon as he is baptized and he's barely dry, the Spirit of God leads Jesus into the wilderness. And there in the wilderness, Jesus fasts and prays for almost six weeks. Can you imagine? How hungry he became. And at the end of six weeks of fasting and praying, the tempter approaches Jesus. And here is the interchange between the tempter, the accuser, the slanderer, and Jesus. Matthew 4, verse 2. After Jesus had fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, he was starving. Food, 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 leftovers, food. What's he going to eat? What's he going to eat? What's he going to eat? He's hungry. The tempter came to him and said, Since you are God's son, command these stones to become bread. It seems so simple, doesn't it? And we read over it and we just don't see it. We don't notice it. Our eyes aren't opened. Can you feel the power of that temptation? Six weeks of not eating. Six weeks. Some of us are famished after six hours. Can you imagine six days? Can you imagine six weeks? And you get to the end of six weeks of not eating, and the accuser comes to us and looks at us in the face and says to us, Come on, just one word. And you see these stones here? They could immediately become bread. One word, and you could turn them into fresh garlic knots. One word, buttermilk biscuits. One word, cornbread. One word, and yeast rolls with butter dripping off the side. One word. Trust me, after six days of not eating, anything not moving would become bread to me if I had the power. Come on, Jesus. You haven't eaten in six weeks. Nobody's out here. Nobody. I'm the only one here. Most people don't even know you're out here. You're hungry. You're tired. You're weak. You see these rocks? Turn them into bread. You see that stone right there? Come on, one word and you can make it hot bread. You can eat and get your strength back and have everything you need. One word, Jesus, one word. Jesus responds. It is written, people won't live by, only by bread. It's another mic drop moment. It's written, people won't live only By bread. What does that mean? What's the big deal? Come on, just make some bread. Food is good, bread is amazing. But we humans cannot survive on bread alone. We need food feeding and nourishing the inner man, the inner woman, the core of who we are more than our flesh, more than our eyes, more than our senses. There is something else we need to sustain us. Of course it is easy to turn these stones into bread. One word and they become bread and I can eat them in just a moment and you know what? Um, Nobody would even know that I did it. I'm the only one out here. But I need more than bread to sustain my body i need bread to sustain my soul so what is that something that jesus says we need but by every word spoken by god meaning you and i do not merely exist by feeding our bodies why because we are more than bodies we are more than flesh and blood. We are more than physical beings. But we are so much more than just this, what you see and taste and feel and see. We are spiritual beings. And if we feed our bodies, Bodies, physical bodies, but we neglect to feed our spirits, we will ultimately starve. So Jesus says, Yes, it is easy for me to say a word and feed my body, but I have learned and I am learning that we need more than just physical food. We need spiritual food, and the spiritual food is every word spoken by God. And we must get into a position. Where we can hear the voice of God in our lives. Because out of the heart, the mouth speaks. So when we hear God's voice, we are hearing God's heart. And hearing the voice and heart of God and responding to his voice and heart, pursuing his will, completing his work, feeds our spirits and gives us the sustenance we need to survive whatever comes our way tomorrow. Because, come on, isn't it true? Let's be honest, all right? Isn't isn't it true that no matter how much food you consume or toys you collect or stuff you amass, there remains a hunger deep in your soul where you really reside? Not, Not the parts we see or touch, but the parts hidden to only God. There is a hunger and thirst only purpose and meaning and love can reach and fill Isn't it true that you can drive your brand new car to your beautiful home and your manicured lawn and you walk into your living room or bedroom with your beautiful television and surround sound and your iPad and your computer and you have money in your account and vacations planned and food in your refrigerator and you have everything you need. And in the middle of all of that, there is still an aching desire on the inside for all of this to make sense. That's what he's saying. People don't live by television alone. People don't live by money alone. People don't live by promotions alone. People don't live by investing alone. People don't live by trophies alone. People don't live by losing weight and getting in shape alone. They all have their place. But that's not what we live by only. But by every word spoken by God And that's always the battle, isn't it? That is always the tension of life. Our tempter, our accuser, our slanderer, the devil, Satan works through all means of communication. Social media, TV, movies, clicks at work, clicks at church. And our own brains running at 90 miles an hour, constantly whispering in our ears and sometimes screaming to us, what you have isn't enough, you need more. Who you are isn't enough. Prove yourself. What you do isn't enough. Achieve more. It's always more, more, more. It is why Jesus pulled away from all of it for 40 days, got in the middle of the wilderness where there was no people, no stimulation, no conversations, no one else speaking, no food, nothing at all, and said, no more. I am enough. I am enough. I have enough. I do enough. I don't need anything else to make me who I am. How did he do that? He carried the words of his father. Every word spoken by God. Pastor and author, Kurt Williams, in his book, Echoing Hope, he does an excellent job showing how the tempter, the accuser, the slanderer tried to pull Jesus into battle through the temptations that I just referred to a moment ago in Matthew 4. Kurt says there are three lies that the accuser tried to get Jesus to believe. It's the same three lies that we hear all the time. You literally can just pick them right out of Matthew 4 and drop them right into our lives, change the wording a little bit, update it for our modern world. It's the same lies we hear all the time. The first lie is I don't have enough food. And it's more than food. It's more than food. You see, Satan wanted Jesus to end his fast early and enjoy food. Give into your stomach, Jesus. Take what you want when you want it. Is that not always attention? Huh? And the implication was much more complex for Jesus than simply uh, eating food or enjoying food. In his fast, Jesus was identifying with the poor and the hungry under Roman occupation. And by resisting the temptation, Jesus was showing that even under difficult situations and circumstances like hunger and fatigue and oppression by a nation, we can still maintain a presence of mind and self control and a desire to hear God before anything else. So, no, thank you. I don't want the food. I prefer the words of my Father. The second lie you don't have enough power. Come on, Jesus. You don't have what I have, the accuser told him. I can give you the power of the world. I can give everything to you. All you got to do is bow down and worship me and I'll give you everything. Basically, what Satan was saying to Jesus is, look, the power of Rome. Come on, Jesus. You've been out here for 40 days. I know you're hungry, you're tired, but I know you remember what Rome is like. Even since you've been out here, they've even amassed more power, more control. Rome is dominant. They take what they want. They crush who they want. They oppress you are weak. You have no power. Look at you. You're out here in the middle of the wilderness. You're tired. You're sweaty. You're dirty. You're hungry. You are craving food. Your body is screaming to give you something. You're unable to sleep comfortably. You're tossing and turning on rocks. You are nothing to roam. They could and they will crush you anytime they choose. But I can change all that. I can give you what you really want. I can give you power. I can give you prestige. I can give you authority. All you got to do is worship me and everything you want will be yours. And Jesus resists it all. How? By every word that came from his father. Jesus, you are enough. You are my son. I am proud of you. All authority in heaven and earth is given to you. Walk for me, walk with me. You're my son. I love you. The words, the words, the words sustained him. The third lie, you don't have enough security. Jesus, you, the accuser again, Jesus, you have no idea how bad things are going to get for you. The religious leaders will hate you. Rome will dismiss you. Your followers will desert you. So you better find out if your father will come through for you. Here's what I would do. If I were you, I I, I would throw myself off this this cliff here because, you know, remember uh, the scriptures say, the word of God says that he will catch you before you even fall. He'll bring angels and support you. So if I were you, I'd find out before you get yourself in a mess whether or not that scripture's true. Throw yourself down and see whether or not he'll come through. If he does, hey, you're golden. If he doesn't, I'd find out now before later. And most of us know what happens. He resists all three temptations. How does he do it? By every word, every word, every word that comes from his father's mouth. How, how, how? By relying on what father God told him during his 40 days, before his 40 days, and holding on to the leftovers, holding on to the leftovers, holding on to the leftovers when he went into battle, when he went into temptation, when he went into these weak moments. You see, Jesus remained at peace during the temptations because he knew that even when he's hungry and tired, his father knows where he is, what he needs, and following his will and accomplishing his work is more important than a stomach growling. Jesus remained at peace because he knew his authority and power did not come from the religious leaders and from Rome. Instead, it came from his father in heaven. His father already told him and he believed him. Jesus remained at peace because he knew He did not have to test his father. Jesus trusted him to see him through no matter what challenged him. And he also knew that rescue, and this is so important, this is in a message in of itself. Jesus knew that rescue most often comes through suffering, not from suffering. So you want me to throw myself down so that the angels can sustain me and keep me from suffering. That's not how the world is saved. The world is saved through it, not from it. How could Jesus resist concentrated temptations from the devil himself with such beauty and intelligence and wisdom and power? He heard the voice of his father daily. Do you not think that's the reason why when it was still early morning and the disciples were snoring, he got up early and found a quiet place to pray? He needed you realize why he went off for 40 days and 40 nights and fasted and prayed before he came back and called his disciples for them to follow him. He needed food, sustenance. He needed to fill himself with the words of his father. And he carried those leftovers with him into the wilderness. Every word that came from his father's mouth, he carried them. He carried them and he drew strength and clarity from what God said, because what his father said radiates from his father's heart, and Jesus knew his father's heart because Jesus invested quality time in his father's presence. So what does it say about us, God? What does it say about us? Folks, the only way you and I will survive spiritually, I'm telling you, the only way, is by feeding our spirit with as much care and concern and consistency as we do our bodies. Now, let's be honest, okay? Let's just get real direct, and then I'm going to close everything out, okay? Let's just get up close and personal. Most of us spend a lot of time, energy, money, and worry over feeding and taking care of our physical bodies. And I'm I'm not implying we shouldn't. We should. We only have one body, and we should do whatever is necessary to take care of it, because when it breaks down, we break down. It's our house. It's where we live. It's it's how we move. It's it's the energy and all the things that come with our body. Absolutely, we should take care of our bodies. I just want to ask you: on top of you taking care of your bodies, or beside you taking care of your bodies, or along with you taking care of your bodies, what about your spirit? You see, when you get up in the morning, you think through breakfast and lunch and dinner, and if if you are extra careful about calories, then you allow for it. And right now we're moving into the Thanksgiving season and the and the Christmas season, and some of you are already planning what you're gonna do. And I mean, right now there's so many cakes and sugar and treats down a grocery aisle, you can just walk down the aisle and gain five pounds. It's everywhere, and you're gonna be invited to parties, and you're gonna go here and you're gonna go there, and everybody's gonna stuff all kinds of stuff on your plate, and you're gonna think, well, if I eat a little bit now, I can eat a little bit later, but if I eat too much now, I'm gonna have to be careful later. You allow for all of that. Some of you weigh yourselves and measure yourselves and take pictures of yourselves and you buy vitamins and supplements and drink horrible juice. I mean, delicious, nutritious juice. And you walk and you run and you lift weights. Wonderful. That is all great, excellent. Keep doing it. But what about your spirit? When you get up in the morning, do you you think through your spiritual growth for the day? You journal every calorie and what you eat and how you eat it and when you should and when you shouldn't and the times and the measurements. I'm just asking in the middle of all that, do you think about your spirit? What you put in your mind, your eyes, your ears, your attitude, whether you're grateful and kind and loving and compassionate, whether you're generous and welcoming and joyful and forgiving. Have you filled your mind with truth and hope and peace? Because, my friend, what you may face tomorrow, you're going to need a whole lot more than you got today. Because, you see, we're only one phone call away. We're only one text away. We're only a 24-hour period away from our entire life being different. And I'm not here to scare you. I'm simply here to let's, let's just face Reality. We want to make sure that when we get older, we have the energy and, and the bone structure and the muscle structure and the mental gain and all that we need to survive. What about your spirit? The only way that you're going to resist the temptations of our common enemy, the slanderer, the accuser, the tempter, is to know God's voice above his voice. And the only way you're going to be able to do that is to carry over the leftovers of God's presence with you everywhere you go. But you can't carry over the leftovers of God's presence if you're never in God's presence. So here's how I want to close. I want you to just listen. Just listen to this beautiful prayer, poem, song of Psalm 63, and this, this, is, this is from the message. I love the way Eugene Peterson paraphrases this. It's just so beautiful. I just want you to hear it, okay? Just, just listen. Listen to one person's cry to God, one person's desire to listen to his father and to take those leftovers with him in all of life. Listen to how Psalm 63 says this. God, you're my God. I, I, I can't get enough of you. Do you hear that? I've worked up so much, up such hunger and thirst for God. Traveling across dry and weary deserts. It almost sounds like Jesus and his temptations, doesn't it? So here I am in the place of worship. Eyes open. Drinking in your strength and glory. And your generous love. I'm really living at last. My lips brim with praises like fountains. I bless you every time I take a breath. My arms wave like banners of praise to you. And I love this line. I eat my fill of prime rib and gravy. In his presence. I smack my lips. It's time to shout praises. If I'm sleepless at midnight, I spend the hours in grateful reflection. Because you've always stood up for me. I'm free to run and play. I hold on to you for dear life. And you hold me steady like a post. That's a man, that's a woman who holds tight when temptations come. That's a man, that's a woman who says, you know what, above and beyond... All the other voices that clamor for my attention, I hear his. That's a man, that's a woman who says, you know what? Yes, my stomach is hurting, and and yes, my head is spinning, and yes, temptations are everywhere. But I carry the leftovers that I need. Because I've been in his presence. I've heard his voice. I know his heart. I'm going to be okay. It's possible there are some of you who listen to that and this whole entire message and you're just thinking, because this is how I would feel if I were sitting out there and, and you're like, you know, I, I don't even know what that means. Like, I, I, I don't even know what it means to feel that way. Like, I don't even know what it means to hunger and thirst for God. Like, I don't even know what that means. That just sounds so different, so foreign to me. Like, I don't even know what that is. To me, church, has just always been something you just come to and you, you know, you kind of do it and you you pray the prayer at the end. And it's kind of just good luck for the week and some moral principles that maybe you can follow and you, you try to be more honest than the other guy. And you, you know, you try to be a little bit more generous. And hopefully, if you're generous, it will come back to you and that's it. That's my relationship, my concept of God. This is really personal. This is really intimate. I don't even get any of it. If that's how you feel, then say that to God. Say it. God, I don't don't even know how to hear your voice. I don't even know what that means. I'm not that intimate with you. I don't understand it. But I want to. Will you reveal yourself to me? Will you speak to me? Will you open my eyes? Will you open my ears? I want to hear you. Because I got a lot of stuff on the outside, but on the inside, I need your voice. And based on experience, and based on scripture, he'll speak. Let's pray. Father, we are a people who are faced with all kinds of pain and difficulty, confusion and worry, and doubt. Temptations abound everywhere. And Father, sometimes we give in, not not because we're so bad or so messed up. We're just sometimes we're just kind of blind. We just don't see. We take things that's probably not good for us because we think in the moment it's the best for us. We say things we shouldn't say because in the moment it seems right. We, we, we walk a lot of our, our, our lives just blind, unable to see the truth, unable to hear the truth. And, Father, reading a passage like this from Psalm 63 seems so foreign to us because it's just not the way we were raised. It's not the way we, we've seen you. But my prayer in this message is that you will open our eyes something deeper and broader and better. They will help us to see you as a father who speaks. And we, as your children, who hear. And just as bread strengthens our body, your word will strengthen our soul. And no matter what comes our way tomorrow, we will carry the leftovers of today with us. And it will give us the strength and the nourishment of the fuel we need to stand. Thank you for meeting us in this place today. Thank you for the worship and your word. Thank you for your presence. And in your presence, there's fullness of joy. In Jesus' name, amen. It's good.